Welcome to the Millennial Father. I'm your host, Raza Mughal, on today's episode. Unofficial theories about the baby's gender, pregnancy superstitions, conversations with other guys. Alright, let's get it. Over the last nine months, I've learned quite a bit about the pregnancy process, both on a voluntary and involuntary basis, and most of what I've learned is scientifically backed. Whenever I met with a doctor, I'd ask questions, I've read articles, I've been reading the new father book by Armin Brat, and all of these have been excellent resources for me. However, along the way, on the pregnancy yellow brick road, I've also been exposed to information that's less concrete and is kind of on the edge of science and superstition. Some of these lessons and procedures made sense to me and I followed them while the others, well, not so much. In fact, I couldn't even believe that they existed. However, being on the verge of entering into the new realm of fatherhood, I was always excited to learn everything I could, no matter how bizarre it sounded. Maybe you'll get a kick out of hearing this stuff or maybe you believe in it already, who knows. I'll start off with some unofficial baby gender theories that are out there. So once we passed the 12 week ultrasound, my wife started researching theories online on whether we were having a boy or a girl. It seemed like every week she would have a new one. I of course didn't read too much into this kind of stuff and I'd kind of get frustrated when she would start treating them like they were 100% true. One of them had to do with the first ultrasound. Depending on whether the fetus was attached to the left side or the right side of the womb, it correlated with us having a boy or a girl. This one was called the Ramsey theory and according to some websites, it's 80 something percent accurate. To be honest with you, once my wife brought it up, I was like, oh lord, I had no clue she was going to be like this. It took us like 20 minutes just to figure out the orientation of the ultrasound. What's left? This is left. No, that's not left, that's right. None of this is right. According to that theory, we were having a girl so you can see how reliable that one was. Another theory we learned came from talking with people in our family. It had to do with the expectant mother's taste preference. If she wanted to eat salty food, we were having a boy and sweet meant a girl. And yeah, that switch for my wife, she started wanting more salty food so I was like, alright, we're having a boy according to this theory. For some reason, this theory actually stuck with me because before getting pregnant, my wife had a huge sweet tooth which completely went away. So in my mind, I was like, it must be a boy in there because I like salty and I'm a man. But then when I sat there and rationally thought about it, I was like, wait, I know so many women that prefer salty too. And I'd overthink about this so much that by the end of the day, I'd have a brain cramp. The funny thing about this theory was that if you talk to enough people about it, it'd switch. Some people would say the opposite, that salty is for a girl and sweet is for a boy. It's crazy to me that in the age of the internet and smartphones, this kind of information still goes around. I guess people like to hear it, kind of like reading up on your horoscope. And it gets to you, well, it got to me. There's so many out there you'll end up connecting with or getting exposed to at least one. There's one that my wife told me about which had to do with the line, also called the linea Niagara, that develops on the mother's belly. Like if that line ends at the belly button, it means you're having a girl. If it goes all the way up, then it's a boy. 
Another one had to do with the heartbeat of the baby at the 12 week ultrasound. If the heartbeat is slower than 150 beats per minute, it means boy. And if it's faster, then it's a girl. For that one, we were at like 152 beats per minute. Like that's right at the borderline. You're not going to make a judgment call when it's that close. It's insane the amount of theories that you'll find out there about the gender of your baby. As a man, I just felt shafted. It's like, why don't any of these theories have to do with me? I feel like I should just make one up and post it on the internet to get men to do something weird. Shave your head and your eyebrows off. If your eyebrows grow back faster than your hair, then you're having a boy. I would sometimes have dreams about having a boy and then they would switch to a girl and it just kept flip-flopping so I didn't read too much into it. Also, I tried to look at patterns. Like in my wife's family, there was a pattern of boy-girl that I just conjured up and according to that, we were supposed to have a boy. I was a firstborn boy and my mom's younger brother, who is similar to her in personality, had a firstborn boy. So I was like, based on that, I'll have one too. I just want to emphasize that none of this stuff mattered and I knew none of this was correct. I think it's just my personality. I couldn't help myself from pondering and guessing. At times I'd catch myself and get angry because I'd tell my wife to stop with her theories. At least she was finding hers on the internet as someone was telling her. I'd just make my own ones up. Again, the theories are endless and I'm sure there are specific ones within each culture as well. Like I have one aunt, she predicts the gender of the next baby you're having based off of the hairline that your last kid had. How? Growing up in a Pakistani household, I was regularly ordered to conduct my behaviors a particular way and if I didn't, it was tied to some supernatural repercussion. Like I was told not to whistle because it meant I was conjuring evil spirits. There were other ones too. One had to do with covering your mouth while yawning. Another one was about not finishing your food. And the consequences of disobeying them were horrifically graphic. And for that reason, they were incredibly effective in keeping a lot of us children in check. Up till this day, me and some of my Pakistani friends believe in them or at least remember them. One that recently came up from my wife's side of the family had to do with eating fish and then drinking milk. Basically, the story is if you do that, it can give you vitiligo or white spotting on your skin. Now, if you search the internet, you'll find no evidence that supports this, but it's just something people in the Pakistani culture believe in. In accordance, there are also myths or legends that have to do with babies as well, which I had the privilege of learning about from family members throughout this pregnancy. I'll tell you a story about how I got to learn about one. So it was the day after Christmas and there was a solar eclipse that took place. On that day, my wife got a call from her mother telling her not to cut anything for 24 hours. When my wife asked her mother why, she stated that as a pregnant woman, cutting something on a day of an eclipse led to the baby having a cleft lip. Now, when you take a step back and analyze this, you think how? How is this possible? How did these instructions come to be? Even if it did happen in the past, it must have been some anecdotal situation, some sort of coincidence. Me and my wife were both educated. You know, we were told this information and we laughed and snickered a bit. But the craziest thing of all, though, is that I made sure she didn't cut anything that day and she made sure she didn't cut anything either. That's the power of these superstitions. It's that, yeah, for us, it did change some of our behaviors 
we reacted to the information. Mama, my grandma told me one that she was like, when the kid is born, keep something metal in the room the baby is sleeping in. She was like, back in the day in the village, they would keep a knife or scissors underneath the baby's bed because it helped with the temperament of the baby. Scientifically, like I know metal is a conductor and there are those metal mood bracelets out there, but I don't think I'll keep a sword in my baby's room. Like maybe I'll keep one of those metal stress balls in there or something. You see though, there's no evidence, but somehow it still gets to you. It's almost like you emotionally blackmail yourself into following it. Of course you want your baby to be happy. Of course you want your baby to be healthy. There's a bunch of them out there in my culture. A pregnant woman shouldn't go up and down stairs too much. She shouldn't raise her arms too much. Some wives tales, legends, myths, whatever you want to call it, you'll discard. Some you'll follow. Some will just make you laugh. Some will make you angry. I guess you pick and choose them based on who's telling you and how much you start to believe in them as well. But maybe, just maybe, you should believe in it. Not everything that happens can be scientifically proven, right? So what are you going to do? Next, I wanted to get into some interesting conversations I've had throughout the pregnancy process, some of which I had no clue how to deal with and I know I completely butchered. One thing I've been regularly asked is the name of the baby. Now, I guess some people like to share that information, but for some reason, me and my wife decided not to do so until the baby's born. So like when anyone asked me if we had a name chosen, I'd always beat around the bush. I'd be like, oh, we have it narrowed down to two names. And I'd say names that were in contention, but neither one of them was the name that we actually chose. I'd do this on a regular basis. I was a grown man fibbing and it would make me feel pathetic. I didn't have the guts to tell people, hey, we have a name, but we don't want to share it. I'm not sure why. I'd make up some side story, but that's how I went about the specific question. That's something I need to work on being more forward about what I want to do or say when it comes to my kid. Another question I've been asked mostly by men is where am I going to be standing during the birth, the head or the foot? Are you a head guy or a foot guy? To be honest, it's a situation that I haven't given much thought to. I've been busy with current tasks, cleaning the house, putting things together. But from the frequency the question has been asked of me, apparently it's a big deal. Firstly, when the question was asked of me, it completely caught me off guard. Like, is this normal? Is this a question that guys ask one another? To me, it seems like such a personal question, but I guess people talk about it. Secondly, I'm a guy who likes to take on challenges. When I get told that a certain task is difficult for me to do, I want to go do it. Clearly from the above mentioned question, the tougher of the two situations would be standing at the foot. So that's what I'd say, I'm going to be standing at the foot. Every single time I've said that, the person asking me the question would be like, no, you can't handle it. You can't handle the foot. Then of course, in my mind, I wonder, why do you think I can't handle it? Do they think I can't mentally handle what's going to happen? Or are they trying to use reverse psychology on me to get me to stand at the foot? My thing is, why do you either have to be a foot or a head guy? Why can't you be both? Like in the delivery room, if you're standing at the head, are you not allowed to move to the foot? Is it like Power Rangers where the Blue Ranger would always be the foot part on the Megazord and the Red Ranger would be the head? I don't know. I feel like some decisions should be left for in the moment. It's such a spontaneous time. 
I don't want to be thinking about it right now. Even if I do, if I make a decision now, maybe that won't be the route that I take when I'm in the moment. The main goal for me these days has been keeping myself busy, keeping my mind occupied with other thoughts other than the baby. So an update on the hospital situation, my wife had an appointment with the OBGYN on Tuesday. And since the rates of the COVID-19 new cases have been decreasing in Ontario, I'll be allowed to stay at the hospital for the whole duration of the birth, which is incredible news for us. I was watching the highlights of the Toronto Raptors championship playoff run at the time. My wife came in from the appointment and told me it felt like Kawhi hit that game seven winner against Philly all over again. Now I've packed my clothes in the baby bag. I'm taking a toothbrush as well. I'm super psyched now that I'll get to be with my wife the whole time and be able to support her throughout the entire birthing process. Also, I've started these online new parent modules, which have been extremely helpful. I believe each region offers them for their residents. We're part of the Peel region, so you just sign up online and go through the courses. I'm sure if you search it up online, you'll find it. Alright, I'm now going to be holding off the podcasting until after the birth, so wish me luck and keep us in your prayers. A lot of people have been telling me they don't know when the new podcast is dropped. Just follow the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen and you'll get a notification every time one comes out. If you don't want notifications all the time from the app, just go to themillennialfather.com and follow the blog. I usually drop the blog and the podcast together so you'll get a notification from there instead about the new episode. The plan is to drop a new episode every two weeks on Sundays. Please tell people about the podcast. Until next time.